Good morning, everyone. I'm R.W. Estella with a word in Edgewise. Today in human time, we have the 133rd day of 2019, which means 232 days remain in reserve until 2020. We are lucky here of late with our plentiful down east precipitation, the rain in Maine falling off and on again, with April showers bringing May flowers and May flowers bringing more showers. The druthers of many of us would be that this cycle of sunshine mixing with moisture continues on through the spring and into the summer. Every now and then a glimpse of clear sky is nice, especially during this week of the burgeoning moon of May, the full moon arriving on Saturday as the flower moon, the milk moon, and the planting moon. Tomorrow, 46 years ago, the U.S. launched its first space station, Skylab, which for about 24 weeks between May 1973 and February 1974 was occupied by NASA astronauts pioneering procedures that would be helpful years later in running the International Space Station. Six years after its launch, its orbit having gradually deteriorated, Skylab fell in variously sized pieces back to Earth, into the Indian Ocean, and onto remote areas of Western Australia, among them the Shire of Esperance, which fined NASA 400 Australian dollars for littering. This past Friday was May 10th, notable for diverse and Sunday reasons, not the least of them being what would have been my maternal grandfather's 121st birthday. My Opa Emil was quite a guy, someone who in his late teens served in the cavalry of Kaiser Wilhelm during World War I, but like many World War I German veterans, would not actively participate in Hitler's Nazi movement although every middle-aged German male, regardless of physical condition, was required to become a member of the Nazi party. At war's end, Emil's daughter and only child, my mother, went to work for the occupation forces and within several years married a U.S. serviceman stationed in Germany. That serviceman was my father, only not yet. That wouldn't happen until the early 1950s. Meanwhile, my father and mother were filing all the necessary paperwork, allowing my grandfather Emil and grandmother Emma to immigrate to the U.S. Last Friday was also the birthday of Prima Arabella, my girlfriend's and my now two-year-old Maine Coon Cat, a calico of quite magnificent proportions. Her father, Bud Light, who lives up at Coldstream Pond, is a 20-pound orange marmalade. Today, May 13th in 1958, Frederick Benjamin Carlin, known to most as Ben Carlin, completed the first, and thus far the only, circumnavigation of the Earth using a modified 1942 amphibious vehicle named Half Safe to accomplish the feat. Altogether, according to National Geographic, he had traveled a combined 50,035 miles over land and sea, navigating 38 countries across four continents and through two oceans, the Atlantic and the Pacific. In 1947, Carlin bought a 1942 Ford GPW Jeep 
for 901 U.S. dollars from the Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland. Then he spent a year remodeling the Jeep, installing a new hull to carry extra fuel, building a bunk behind the seats, and putting in aircraft instruments and a radio transceiver. Archivist Rosemary Waller at the Guilford Grammar School in Perth, Australia, where Carlin's half-safe has resided since the late 1990s, says that Carlin named his vehicle half-safe after an errant deodorant radio commercial at the time that used the slogan, Don't be half-safe, use arid to be sure. For Carlin's purposes, of course, half-safe as a name became an entendre, conveying multiple meanings ranging from tentative personal security to the sheer bulk of the vehicle when outfitted with multiple tanks for fuel, extra stabilizing rudders, and other modifications. In 1953, so that he could raise money along the way, Carlin chronicled the first major leg of his journey in the book Half Safe Across the Atlantic in an Amphibious Jeep, which sold 32,000 copies over the next several years and was translated into Dutch, Norwegian, Swedish, Portuguese, and Japanese. Carlin was a do-it-yourself sort of fellow, necessary since half-safe required constant maintenance and from time to time massive overhaul and rebuilding. For a long while, Carlin's first wife, Eleanor, an American Red Cross nurse originally from Boston, who Carlin had met at the end of World War II, shared in Carlin's adventure and was with him when they succeeded on their fifth attempt to cross the Atlantic from Halifax to the Azores. By 1956, however, Eleanor Carlin had had enough, and Carlin continued alone briefly until a new traveling partner, fellow Australian Barry Hanley, whom Carlin had met in Burma, joined on for about a year, replaced by journalist Boye Lafayette de Menthe, who would last as long as Anchorage before flying home to Phoenix, Arizona, while Carlin continued to Seattle in 1957 and eventually back to Montreal on this date in 1958. And speaking of wonders, today is the birthday of Stevie Wonder, who was born blind and named Steveland Morris Hardaway in Saginaw, Michigan in 1950. By age 10, Stevie had mastered the piano, bongos, guitar, and harmonica. And at age 12, he was working at Motown, quickly making it to the top 40 with tunes such as I Was Made to Love Her, My Sharia Moore, and Uptight. Biographer Ed Morrow believes Stevie Wonder has been modest about his success, citing Stevie's remark, How can you even think of being conceited with the universe as large as it is? Today is also the birthday of Daphne du Maurier in 1907, of Joe Louis in 1914, and of Harvey Keitel in 1939. For Moreno, Maine, I'm R.W. Estella with a word in Edgewise. Here's to a great day.